All right, well, Schofield, great to see you today. Yeah, good to be with you, Chris. Yeah, well, I wanted to just jump right into this episode, and let's talk about three ideas, and then we'll talk about some statistics, and I'd love to ask you some questions. So three big ideas that we've been wrestling with over the last couple of weeks and months as we've been preparing for this is that, number one, the greatest threat to men is a desire to move towards independence and isolation. That's something we're going to mm-hmm. talk about today. Um, number two, avoiding sexual immorality helps us depend on God. So running from sexual immorality, it sharpens our ability to care for others and remain sturdy and care for others the way God planned for us to. So that would be the second one. And then the third one is sexual brokenness is a result of independent thinking. Mm -hmm. So those are some thoughts um, that we're going to try to wrestle through today. So let me share a couple of statistics and I want to get your your ideas on these. So um, some things that we've been learning. Number one is that teen intercourse has dropped from 54% to 40%, and many suggest that it is the online consumption or of pornography use. Yeah, that's interesting because when you hear that, you think, oh, this must mean good. Yeah. That intercourse between kids or teens is stopping yeah. until you realize why. Yeah. It's because porn is rampant. That's right. Why go have sex, figure out how to have sex, even outside of God's design, if I can just get it by myself with no effort. Yeah, it is bizarre. Barna did a study that says that two out of three U.S. men consume pornography monthly, and that 79% of these men were between the ages of 18 to 30. Yeah, that proves to be true in my experience. Maybe it's low, honestly, Mm -hmm. you know, but I do think that it's more the norm than not. For most men, especially in that 18 to 30 people that have grown up with access to the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's real interesting. Another statistic that we found is that 56% of divorce cases involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. And the fourth statistic is that 46% of those who use porn replied that images of sexual acts that may be forced or painful are not wrong. Right. So that really captures for me the principle that we are being trained sexually. Mm-hmm. You could even use the word discipled. We're being taught yeah. what sex is, what it should be like by porn. Mm-hmm. So their beliefs have been shaped by what they've been exposed to over time, mm-hmm. which would have a ton of implications. Yes. Another one, and this is the last one we'll talk about today. So a 2019 national representative survey found that 53% of kids have their own smartphone by age 11, which is also, surprise, surprise, the average age kids first see porn. Yeah, I mean, even those numbers we talked about earlier of men between the ages of 18 to 30, Mm -hmm. that uh, lower end and down, you know, whether it's, what, maybe 25-year-olds and down, I mean, the iPhone I touches iPads. It's different. It's, there's actually a big jump between the current 25 year old and the 35 year old. Yeah. Because of tablets, smartphones, and just the in your in your pocket computer that mm-hmm. they've had access to, and how that shapes their access to pornography, yeah. social media, different kinds of content. Yeah. Yeah, and I've got a couple guys that I you know am in discipleship relationships with and recently I was talking to one of them and he confessed this challenge that he had with downloading and deleting TikTok on a regular basis mm-hmm. you know it's just a rhythm of uh, and a lack of discipline really but you know trying not to look at that and then realizing and then deleting it 
because mm-hmm. he's trying to stay pure mm-hmm. in that way mm-hmm. and um, and move towards dependence on God. But then, you know, the weekend comes and it's like he downloaded it. Right. And it's interesting, like TikTok and most social media platforms, they take note of the type of videos you're watching and w- the niche community that they're coming from. And then it suggests similar videos right. to you based on the content consumption. You know? Which really captures the 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 push and pull nature of social media where you can go searching and hunting for Mm -hmm. sexual content. Mm -hmm. That's an option. Yep. But then there's also just the fact that it's being pushed to you like it or not. You, and and I think there's something about us as men with our sexual energy, we're created to pursue. Mm -hmm. And so you put us on a platform and it can capture that pursuing energy in a fake way and make you feel like you're actually, you're actually seeking out and getting access to a woman's beauty Mm -hmm. and, being tempted to consume it. So it's just not healthy. We use them as ways to distract and escape. It's, it's very easy for our energy to go toxic. So that's, I mean, yeah, I think that's happening for most guys. Yeah. Well, this has already been a very tense conversation. I mean, this is a challenge for us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've been trying to, you know, create conversation for these episodes so that we can dialogue and learn takeaways from other men and just grow in our faith. And so I would love to just, you know, interact with you a bit and help our listeners have a conversation and a dialogue around some questions. So let's kind of just jump into it. So what do we mean by sexual brokenness? Like what really is sexual immorality? Yeah. So, I mean, I think sexual brokenness, zooming out to the bigger category of our brokenness that comes from us choosing sin back to our spiritual father and mother, Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. we see in Genesis. And the result of us choosing sin is that there's this death spiritually, this brokenness spiritually that is now in our DNA, Mm -hmm. it's our default setting. So we are spiritually broken, meaning we have a default towards what we, what we want, not what God would have for us. Mm -hmm. We think we know what we need more than God does. Mm -hmm. And so that just plays itself out in our sexuality. Mm -hmm. And this is why I would say is that sex is one of the most powerful things God has made Mm. is not marginal. It's powerful. Yeah. And so when brokenness gets stamped on something so powerful, it also should be a source of incredible blessing, right? God creates sex. It's his idea. Mm -hmm. He loves it. But then in our pride, we take it on our terms, and it goes from being a powerful blessing Mm -hmm. to a powerful cursing. And so I think that captures this, and I think we all feel it, that we are bent towards our desires for Mm -hmm. sex, not God's design. Yeah. And I think the second part, Chris, what is sexual immorality? Well, really, it's taking sex outside of the context that God designed it for, mm. which can be a bunch of different things. Mm. I mean, I think somewhere in, I think it's Romans, says that we invent new ways of doing evil. Mm-hmm. We probably continue to find ways to sin sexually. Yeah. But at the core, if you look through the scriptures, we get this picture, right, of sex being a gift for marriage mm-hmm. to create oneness and intimacy between a husband and a wife in a way that brings fruitfulness in their marriage, being, brings fruit in children for many as many families as God so allows. Yeah. And then it becomes a hub of blessing. We know, Chris, you know how hard marriage is. It's hard. You can imagine how much of a benefit it is to have this gift that brings us together. That's right. But what we're doing is we're taking it out of the context of sex and using it on our own terms. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes me think about 1 Thessalonians 4 three through five that says God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Mm. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not 
in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think really sometimes I hear people ask the question, well, what's, what's the line? And I would say, wrong question. Mm. We're trying to seek and maximize God's design for sex and flee from all sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. And so um, we can get into specifics, but yeah. I think that's the big picture of what yeah. sexual immorality is. Well, well, I think just to just to recap some of what you're saying is that, you know, as men, we're responsible for people. We're responsible to, to God gives us gifts. He gives us energy. And this sexual energy that you're calling us that we have as men, like we have to, we have to be responsible for that. And what you're saying is that is just we have this sin that's that's independent. It's independence. It it's is. like we want to be independent from God. We we just don't want to do what what He's called us to do, and that's the tension of managing that daily. And um, well, I, I would add there, Chris. One of the ways that I've been taught to think about this is that independence comes from our proud unbelief. Mm. Proud unbelief says I know what I need better than God does. Mm. And I would say that we as Christians think that way. That's why we sin. So at the heart of it is we're saying, hey, I think I would know what to do with sex and what would satisfy me better than God would know. Who, by the way, made it. Mm -hmm. Who, by the way, made me. That's right. So to your point, and we need to recognize that. And I think it's a part of the key towards freedom in the future from sexual sin is humble faith. Saying, no, actually, God knows what I need and what would satisfy me better than I do, even when it goes against my desires. Yeah. Well, we heard some of the statistics, which, you know, culturally speaking, we can see the damage that that creates. But I mean, what do you think is at stake for us as men, godly men, fathers, you know, church leaders, you know, just the environment that, you know, we find ourselves in just even the work of ministry, like what's at stake for us? Yeah. I'm sure there's lots at stake. I think um, the biggest thing that I feel, and this is from my personal experience with sexual sin in my past is and in my present, is that sexual sin and the choice to indulge in that sidelines our power as men. Mm-hmm. It takes us out of the game where we're supposed to be a blessing, a spiritual blessing mm-hmm. to the people and situations that God has in front of us. And instead, our energy goes toxic into sin. We get stuck in shame, mm-hmm. guilt, we get paralyzed. And instead of being a source of love and strength to others, we just become consumers in lust. Mm. And really, we become a shell of what powerful masculinity could look like. Mm-hmm. And we think things like, well, who am I to speak into their life? Because I know what I'm doing mm-hmm. behind closed doors. And there's all, there's all kinds of true and false thinking built into that. Mm-hmm. But the net result is we're taken out of the game. Yeah, And I think it's one of the strategies that the devil has most effectively used to neutralize men in our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes us weak. Yeah. What do you think we should do if we find ourselves in a place of sexual brokenness? I think we, I mean, I think we have to start talking about it. Yeah. If we're going to be following Jesus, if we're going to be healthy, talking about how our sexual brokenness, not if our sexual brokenness mm-hmm. is taking place has to be normal. Mm-hmm. If you're not in a conversation with someone really someone who has the ability to speak in, I would say even the idea of a spiritual leader or Mm -hmm. spiritual authority, then you are holding yourself back from freedom. Mm -hmm. We really don't need to be in control. We need to be free to be known so we can get get help. And the gospel frees us to do that because Jesus knew very well Mm -hmm. how we were going to sin sexually, and he died to pay for it. So now we're freed up to talk about it. And so I think isolation, like you talked about earlier, yep. it's one of the biggest problems. It's one of the main ways we're stuck 
in our sexual sin. And so I would just say we need to create a baseline that we all have a sexual brokenness story. We all have a sexual wound, mm-hmm. right? And we just need to become more and more articulate around how, yeah. why, how, when did this start, right? When do I remember sexual sin being a part of my life and beginning to become self-aware about how that's looked over time? That's actually a key part. Yeah, we have to put strategies in place, practical things to keep us from sin and temptation. But if we don't do some of the internal work mm-hmm. to recognize what's driving all this, where this has come from, then we're really going to just short circuit the change process. Yeah. Yeah. So I at least would start there to say, we got to be in conversation about this often. How do we fight temptation? What does that look like for us? You think? Well, I do think there's, there's two things there, Chris. One is we have to address our heart. Mm -hmm. There are things going on beneath the surface that are driving and motivating our sexual temptations. Things like anxiety, a need for approval and affirmation, even to the point of, asking why am I looking at porn, mm-hmm. right? Because I feel like I'm not sure if I'm good enough as a man. And so now going and getting access to a woman's sexuality is a fake version of her receiving my masculine energy mm-hmm. and saying yes to my manhood. And does it feel good? It does. But the answer, it just feels good, is not good enough. Mm-hmm. So if you need to have a better why on a heart level and then be able to talk to, to God about how he actually meets us in our needs for affirmation our needs for comfort, right? Our needs for peace if we're anxious. So that's part of it. But the other part is we have to just, we have to change our behavior. And when you think about fighting temptation, here's, here's some language that I use is we have to learn how to fight the battle before the battle. That's good. The goal is not to be good enough at resisting temptation mm-hmm. because we're not. It's to flee from temptation. That's right. It's to say, hey, how do I keep myself from the moment of temptation even arriving? Mm-hmm. So we got to learn how to take steps back. Not that, oh, I'm going to not use my phone beside my bed tonight. Yeah. I'm just committed to resisting temptation, a.k.a. fail, mm-hmm. right? We all know how that goes. So it's more like, hey, do I keep my phone out of my room? How am I going to structure my phone with restrictions and uh, uh, software that helps cover it, basically taking things off the table mm-hmm. to where getting access to content would become near impossible. Yeah, And I mean anything. If that means getting a dumb phone, if that means having a friend with restrictions. So in, in what situations am I not going to put myself in? And then what situations am I going to put myself in for good use of my energy mm. that instead of me just sitting idle, I'm actually using and spending my energy for good. Mm. If you're married, pursuing your wife sexually, engaging your marriage and figuring out how to just improve your sex life throughout seasons, yeah. right? And so I think fighting the battle before the battle is a key concept. If we're going to develop yeah. momentum, right, yeah. then it's going to be that kind of strategic thinking. And one more thing, Chris, when it comes to what's at stake, let me just say a word to dads for a second. It, and it's easy for me to get emotional about. And my, my kids are not at the age yet where they have awoken to their, their sexuality. But I already look at them. And I think about the fact that if I'm not willing to trust and follow Jesus in the area of my sexuality, how is that going to hamstring me in my ability to engage in their fearful, shameful, confusing experience of their own sexual brokenness? Mm. Yeah, I think we have dads upon dads that are paralyzed. And the result is their sons, and in some ways probably their daughters, are left to themselves to figure out and navigate what to do with their sexuality because our men are terrified. They're stuck in shame and guilt and not engaged in community and creating progress and healing. Mm -hmm. And so they're really becoming irrelevant. Mm. And now we're abandoning our children. And I just want to honestly call it that. Yeah. 
I want to call our choosing to continue to engage in our sexual temptations and abandonment of our children, a neglect of their needs, and an abdication of our responsibilities. Mm. And I say that because I know how much our dads love their children and how much that, let's just say, bothers them. Yeah. Okay. To, to, for someone to accuse them of that, I think that's appropriate. Yeah. We should have some righteous, you know, fight in us yeah. to say, no, I got to do better for my kids. Mm, that's good. Chris, you talk about pornography and its pervasiveness and even the idea that statistic where we have men who think that doing things that are harmful or seem to be not liked by their partners is not wrong or it's okay. Mm. It makes me think about an analogy I was taught one time uh, by a counselor that our brains are being wired neurologically, right? Like sexual pleasure produces dopamine that literally creates pathways in your brain towards pleasure and says, this thing makes me feel good. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So the, the analogy was, if you were to take a baseball and you masturbated just looking at that baseball over and over and over again, you would almost develop an association, right? Mm-hmm. Where a baseball becomes a version of exciting to you, mm-hmm. right? Which seems ridiculous and it's yeah. extreme. It's not necessarily real or precise. The point is, when you correspond pleasure to this experience over and over and over again, you are hardwiring your brain to associate that act, that object, by the way, which is what we're turning humans into, yeah. for pleasure. And so what does that mean then? If we have a generation of young men who've been trained and, and hardwired to experience sex the way that porn portrays it, what's that going to do when you actually get into a relationship with a real human being, your wife, who's not even close to what that screen portrayed? Mm. Yeah. How do we then engage her in a way that's more about intimacy and love than about objectification and self-gratification mm. on my terms? Not to mention what the, the setting and the types of what was displayed to be erotic and, and attractive was mm-hmm. in an unhealthy way. Yeah. And so I just think that's something to just consider. If you're you know, using porn and if our, our young men are using porn, it's not a neutral net effect. Yeah. We're hardwiring our brains in an association, and it might take things off the table, or it might create a ton of work for us when we enter into marriage mm-hmm. to experience healing. And I can just say from my experience personally, I think I feel the current effects of that in our marriage, yeah. where my ability just to be emotionally engaged in loving my wife and sex being a chance to connect with a person. Mm-hmm. Bro, I mean, I, I was trained that sex was something that I'd do by myself mm-hmm. to make me feel as good as I can. Yeah. And I keep clicking until I find what I want. Yeah. So no bueno, right? Yeah. Is the technical way to say that. I mean, so I just think that's something for us to think about. And I think at large as a culture, it's, it's a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Pornography is rampant. It is hijacking our men. We all wonder where they are. Well, they're probably hiding watching porn. Mm. Yeah. And I think as you, talked earlier about this pursuit of holiness. This is going to be one of the ways that we detrain our mind. That's right. That's right. We're, we're going to have to literally be transformed by the renewal of our minds. There is hope. So I know that sounds gloomy, mm-hmm. but God can do more than we could possibly think to ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's going to take recognizing the weight of our choices first and letting that create a righteous fear in us that this is not good. This is unhealthy. Yeah. And it's become normalized in our culture. This is normal. So our kids growing up today, there's no stigma, right? Like there was, a, there was a factor that you hid that 10, 15 years ago. Now it's in mainstream media. 
this is just a normal part. And it's being advertised as a healthy, good thing. Yeah. Buy porn companies. Yeah. So it's going to, it's going to take some reorientation of our thinking. Mm. I'm not saying you need to confess to every person in your community group, the exact yeah. details of your sexual past, but somebody in your community group, be it your leader, other guys, you know, we, we have men's round table, authentic manhood. Yep. And inside of that, we did a, a talk on the sexuality wound. Yep. I did that talk. Yep. And it really just was a summary of all the things that I've tried to yeah. live into for freedom. Yeah. And really things that have actually helped. Yeah. And, and there's, that's, and there's some good exercises in yeah. that, like the action steps right. from that teaching. Yep. So we can put that in the show notes. I think the value there is really, what I'm trying to say is the reality of a sexuality wound captures that you have a story. Mm-hmm. Like you have a past of when sexual sin entered your life and began to distort your trust in God and began to impact you. Mm-hmm. And that sounds miserable, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. to think about talking about that. But I do think it's important. And it can't stop there. Mm-hmm. That has to be, you know, a part of a grander strategy for freedom. Yeah. But hopefully those resources, other things we can point our members to can be a that's at yeah. least a starting point. And I think yeah. once we take some of those steps, it is kind of like a flywheel that gets mm-hmm. spinning. Yeah. You can develop momentum towards freedom. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I used to not believe was that I just didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. I would always return to porn. Mm-hmm. I would always return to social media, right? And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Really, we know that we've been equipped by God and the Spirit with all that we need for a life of godliness and we can experience progress. Yeah. It's just, it's a war, frankly, Chris. It's going to take Constant. a willingness to, to do anything. Jesus says, if your eye is causing you to sin, mm-hmm. gouge it out. If, you're, if yeah. it's your arm, cut it off. He's not saying, you know, amputate. He's saying, do whatever it takes because it's worth it to find mm-hmm. freedom. It's worth it to find, uh, you know, healing. Yeah. I know you share a lot of your sexual brokenness and your story in that sexuality wound teaching and authentic mm-hmm. manhood. But I mean, how would you advise us even, and then I would say kind of a part of that question, the way that we think I'm, I'm learning in my own life right now that I just have stinking thinking, you know, I'm easily deceived. I overvalue myself. <laughs> I think way too highly of myself. And so a lot of times it's that independent fog that I'm in, you know, you are in the car, you're driving, it's like foggy. And then, you know, the fog lifts a little bit and all of a sudden you can see. And I think confession and just sharing, being accountable, being um, known kind of Mm -hmm. removes that independent fog, if that makes sense. How did that come about for you um, in telling some of your story to someone? Did that, was it just like a particular person? Um, You know, was it a community group leader? Was it, I mean, what did that kind of, if you were to say, hey, here are the, Here's how I did it. Yeah. Real quickly, I guess, maybe. Uh, I mean, there's it's a good question. I mean, I would say two things. One was starting to open up personally. Yeah. I, I remember when I first got clear, I'd become a believer uh, the previous summer. And that fall, I'm masturbating. Mm-hmm. I'm in a moment of, of giving into sexual sin. And I remember feeling, hey, I, I don't think this is right. Yeah. The irony is I'd never been told that. Yeah. I'd never been discipled or equipped to think about sexual sin and God's design. So I go to a youth group and I tell my leader what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey, is that, is that wrong? He said, yeah, that's wrong. Masturbation is wrong. Yeah. We're getting that on the table right now. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's a complicated question. Yeah. Um, and maybe not at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think if we're saying that sex is created to be a source of 
unity and oneness in marriage. Mm -hmm. Then I think a pattern of taking that gift and using it for self-pleasure, I don't think it's setting you up well for what it's actually for. And so some folks would just say, yeah, it is sin. Um, I'm probably leaning that way. Mm -hmm. I think it's just wrong, you know. But I do think there's there's room for a further discussion if yeah. you wanted to do a whole podcast on masturbation. But for all practical purposes, it's not the goal. It's yeah. not what we're doing. It's not what sex was for. Yeah. And so my point in that story, though, is that it was the first time that I got my sexual brokenness mm-hmm. and experience out on the table. Yeah. If you fast forward to college, it became more of a, a friend thing where I had some guys we were trying to fight to not look at pornography yeah. together. And so over time, it's evolved into getting into spiritual authority relationships where I have pastors, leaders who I'm talking to, and they're helping me understand the stakes. That's when really the game started to change for me. Wow. I'll never forget having an accountability software on my computer. This was our uh, beginning of our second year of marriage. Mm. I went and looked at something on Netflix that was sexually explicit content, mm-hmm. and I didn't think that my wife would see it or that mm-hmm. it would catch it. It did. Yeah. I'll never forget getting the phone call from her mm. and feeling like, you know, I was going to throw up Yeah, because I couldn't lie. She asked me if it's what it was, and I said, it is. Yeah, And it just completely crushed her. I had not been fully honest with her about the, the reality of my past with pornography. And that went to her. It went to a mentor. It went to uh, another friend, Christian friend, mm. and it forced it to a head. I had to go to one of our pastors at the church at that time and just tell him this is what's happening. Yeah. And that was a moment where I'll never forget. He looked at me and he said, I don't doubt whether you are remorseful mm-hmm. and you wish that you weren't doing this and that you do love God and that you're a good guy. Yeah. Here's the thing. You're going to have to decide if you're going to be a good remorseful guy who continues to live into this pattern mm-hmm. or if you want to be a part of the things that God has in store for you. Mm-hmm. And here's the catch. You can't have both. Yeah. Something happened for me in that moment. I've told that story before because it created clarity for me. The lie that I was believing is I was doomed to this and it would just be a part of my life and I wasn't necessarily losing anything. Mm -hmm. He made it clear for me that I am taking things off the table. Mm. When I choose to sin and give into that pattern, it's holding me back from the things that God wants me to do and be. Mm. Even in 1 Timothy, I think it's chapter 5, Paul's telling Timothy to keep himself pure so that he can be a utensil that is ready for honorable use by the master. Mm. And so part of our motivation is, well, we have better things to be doing, yeah. right? Like God has good things for us. He has good works for us to do. And so that was a turning point for me. Yeah, I went through Quest for Purity at that time as well with our church. I just started taking some more rigorous steps, and um, that began a new momentum. And I yeah. would use that word. I would I would encourage our men to think about, what does it mean to cultivate momentum towards sexual freedom? Mm. It can happen. It just it's it's just war. It's brutal. It's embarrassing. It makes you feel shameful. We're gonna have to get over all that and be willing to say the gospel's sufficient yeah. and it's worth it. Yeah. So just to answer your question, that's what the journey was like for me of getting in space on my deal. I will add this one thing: having to go on the hook for others' men, other men's sexual freedom. Mm-hmm. has been a critical part of my own. What do you mean unpack that? Having other people that are hurting and stuck with sin and needing to help them in our church. This started with students for me, yeah. working in our student ministry, but now it's friends, men at our campus. I mean, 
all over the place, right? Yeah. You, you know, I mean, the statistics make the point. Yeah. Needing to be able to love them and help them. Mm-hmm. I know that I cannot continue to indulge in sinful patterns and be an asset to them sure. and what God wants to do for them and support yeah. them, have real, real strength to offer. Yeah. And so, frankly, having to talk to a bunch of people about how they can find freedom has actually fueled my own freedom too. Yeah. It keeps me accountable and it brings in new clarity, new ideas. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm thinking about sexual brokenness often Yeah. because whether it's me or them, I'm, I'm engaged and thinking through how to find freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I think just even if you are struggling with this, okay, just even going to someone to say, Hey, I need, I need prayer. I mean, that gives what you're saying, someone an opportunity to care for you, which is they're not responsible for you, but in a sense you're saying that in a way it's, it's the, it's the line between being responsible for people and then just caring for people. And, you know, I think the more you grow as a man, I think an authentic man, the more you get opportunities to care for people, but then also be responsible for people. And it's hard to do that if you're struggling with this, um, not being honest with it, isolating yourself um, versus what you're saying. There was some response. There's some responsibility and you're, you got skin in the game and you're, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're, you're getting to be a part of that. That's, that's, that's good. Um, earlier you read the scripture, First uh, Thessalonians four three through five. So let's talk a little bit about that for a minute. Um, this pursuit of holiness. Why is a pursuit of holiness a great roadmap for sex, for dating, for marriage? Well, I think at the core of that is it's just a God centered life. Yeah. So what does that look like for you, like today? Like how do you how do you navigate? You get in the car, you're going down the road. So mm-hmm. like your day is filled with lots of things. So walk us through, like, how do you pursue holiness like that in Mm -hmm. a day? (laughs) That's a great question. I mean, I think I just, I really try to believe that God is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. He is my king. He is my savior and he is my satisfier. Mm -hmm. And so knowing and believing that in every area of my life, I have to move towards his design, continue to repent from my independence, my proud unbelief, whether it's how I love my wife, how I parent my kids, how I manage my sexual energy, Mm -hmm. how I work, the things that I'm tempted to worship in place of him. Mm -hmm. And really, Chris, just in faith saying, he's God, I'm not, he's good, I'm not. Yeah. And he is in his own category, right? That's his, the idea of holiness is that he is entirely other. There is no one like him. Yeah. And so in faith, saying if there's no one like him, he he alone is worthy of my worship and my obedience, mm-hmm. then I'm moving in response to that area by area, mm-hmm. day by day, week by week, in the context of biblical community. Yeah. With other people that are helping me think that are them that are themselves embodying holiness for me, modeling holiness. Yeah. And also engaged in my personal holiness mm-hmm. and trying to lead myself in that way. Yeah. I mean, I hate that some men struggle with this and I struggle with this too. Um, but I've been having some conversations with another guy about this and this temptation to use pornography, like, and it really is more of a, I'm, I don't have anything to do. I don't have any responsibility. Mm-hmm. No one's around. So it's easy to do it. Right. Yep. And so to me, I feel like that is like, I'm deciding that I can do whatever I want. Well, I'm the righteous judge. And that's not yeah. right. If I may, I mean, if we find ourselves in a spot like that, Chris, where we say, I have nothing to do, I have nobody that I'm responsible for, uh, that is the recipe yeah. 
for sexual sin. Mm. I mean, I think the, the, the issue of idleness, the temptations that come when our energy is not deployed on the things that we are responsible for. Yeah. We're sinning by omission. We're not being intentional to spend our energy. Now, we need mm. to rest. Yeah. And we need to have fun. But if we're unintentional with our energy and our time, we're asking for trouble. We're asking because our default setting is, well, we've got excess energy. I wonder how I could indulge my sinful appetites. Yeah. So I think it's one of the key things I had to learn and that I think men have to learn is we have to have proactive plans to deploy our energy on good things. If yeah. not, it will go toxic. Yeah, that's good. This has been really good. And so I think it would be helpful. And what we'll do is we'll we'll give some questions in the show notes for men to kind of wrestle through some of this some more. But I think it's probably worth just landing the plane here and yeah. giving men a chance to talk to other men about this. Right. Cause that's really what we want to do. We realize that these episodes are really an individual experience, but they're only enhanced by having a conversation with somebody. And that's really what we were doing this for in the first place. So could you maybe, um, land the plane for yeah, us and absolutely. give us some direction? The, the big thing I would say is we just have to believe in the goodness of God. Mm. First of all, is that God's plans are better than ours. His ways are higher. And he's the one who created us. He's the one who knows how to satisfy us. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. Okay. Number two, I would give men a challenge in two directions. One, I would begin to become more articulate around your sexuality story, mm-hmm. your past, and what has motivated you. And I'm talking about details that are awkward to, to think about and talk about. Right? When did sexual sin start? When do I remember awakening to my sexual desires? And what has my pattern of sexual sin looked like? Even to the level of detail, is there anything about the nature of the kind of porn or the type of sexual explicit content that I'm looking at? So mm. gaining a self-awareness on your past and where you're coming from and bringing that into community. So that's mm-hmm. one challenge. Yeah. The other challenge is to ask a big question that we just did earlier is, what would it look like for me to develop momentum towards freedom from sexual sin? And I use that because that's something that really only you can answer, and it represents a strategic effort. Yeah. Not just reactive resistance of temptation, but proactive fighting for freedom. Yeah, that's good. And so I would just ask men to go into a dialogue around the past and the future, believing in the goodness of God. Mm. Yeah, he is good. I would say, just to piggyback off of what you're saying, like, Let's not just go listen to more resources or go watch more resources. Like, let's have a conversation about how to do this with someone else. I think that could be uh, a great way. So, yeah. man, I appreciate this and your time and mm-hmm. even just being vulnerable with us. Yeah, man. Yeah. No doubt. Awesome. Well, thanks, man.